0: Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by the profound spiritual violence of doing a task that you secretly suspect doesn't need to be done. Spiritual Violence, the proud sponsor of today's Seriously Wrong. I am wrong.
1: You are wrong. We are wrong. I am wrong.
2: Go to a comfy Irish pub where two salaried professionals sit together for an after work drink. Hey, man, I got tables right over here. Is the seat taken? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) How's it
0: going, man? It's been a while. Like, you were texting me it was a rough day today?
2: Yeah. It's just rough in how the same it was as every other day. I basically have to make sure people do things that they always do every day. Are you like a manager? Yeah. I just call people and ask if they're doing things. We call it check-ins. I check in with a lot of people. It's a horror existence.
0: Well, at least you have something to do, man. I go through these folders on the computers. I make sure that all the forms are filled out correctly. Straight up, I have my own form about form quality, but like, ultimately there's only five or six of those to do a week. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Solitaire, and every time I've ever told the boss that I've got nothing to do, he either like looks at me like I'm crazy, or he makes me do something
2: really humiliating and banal like wipe tables or something. At least you can keep your brain to yourself. You can listen to music, listen to podcasts and stuff. I don't know, I'm jealous of your job, to be honest. Today
0: I listened to this podcast. They did an interview with
2: David Graeber. I don't know who that is. Oh, you
0: haven't heard of him? Oh, he, it's pretty great. He's like an activist and a writer, and he just wrote this book called Bullshit Jobs about the spiritual crisis of all these meaningless jobs that people have to work. Um, So it's really up my alley. Actually, would you mind if I told you a little bit about my day in detail? Like, I'm just sort of need to get this off my chest. I'd love to hear about your day in detail. Okay, so like, I get in at, I think it must be uh, 5 after I'm supposed to be there, so like 9.35. And he comes out of his office and he's like, oh, do you... Anything uh, to report? You've got enough to do? You need anything? <sighs> oh, busy. In one word, busy. I've, it's nonstop. Good. Great, these great forms to hear And yeah, I've been working really hard. A lot of attention to
2: detail. Phone calls coming in. Good, good, good. That's what I like to hear. Stuff getting done. Perfect. Yeah, like my so. job really needs to exist. And you're doing real work? Doing real work. Yeah, nonstop. It's Perfect. I'm just going to stop you there. I got a lot of real work I need to do, uh, especially oh, the oh, next yeah. 50 minutes. So I'm going to head in my office. Sorry for wasting your just time, Just if sir. anyone comes, make them wait. If anyone calls, put them on hold. Just 50 minutes is all I'm asking. I got I got stuff to do. Real work.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing my real work out here as well. Sorry. What I mean to say is, yes, I'm your, your humble flunky.
2: Your word is my command. Oh, Johnson, you're a nervous wreck. Always going to be a beta, but I love you. Yes, uh, that's sir. That's why I keep you around. Yeah, beta, huh? The original scientist who described wolf pack behavior
0: and invented the term. He never said it applied to humans, but he even later realized that it only applies to the wolves in captivity. So like, sure, as what that fucking boss knows. I'll just un unman- this window. I wonder what boss would think about that. Slide just one earbud in. Anarchist podcast. And so I'll just press play on the podcast now. Today on the show, we have David Graeber with us. David, you're a anthropologist, professor, activist, and author. And I noticed on your Twitter bio that you say, don't call me the anarchist anthropologist, because I think that anarchism yes. is something you do and not an identity. So I was wondering, before we get started on your new book, what does it mean to you to do
1: anarchism? Oh, well, it really comes from the idea of direct action. Anarchism and direct action have been very closely linked over time, because you know the core notion of anarchism is you take the idea that the ends do not justify the means to the point where the, the means have to embody the ends. You're supposed to act as close as possible to the way you would in a free society. And of course, you don't really know how people would act in a free society, but you try to approximate it. You try to make decisions in a way that wouldn't require coercive enforcement. You try to treat people as you would treat them in a society where you couldn't force people to do things they didn't want to do. But you know, that's not what you do if you're operating within a university environment. I mean, you try to do as much as you can, but you're not fooling yourself that, you know, um, you're not in a prefigurative <laughs> space here. <laughs> best you can do is ameliorate the situation. So you know, it seems silly for me who's like working in a capitalist system. I mean, you know, sometimes I have been involved in such experiments and then I'm maybe being an anarchist, you know, uh, if you're occupying a square, if you're involved in a direct action, large or small, I actually have called direct action the defiant insistence on acting as if one is already free. You know, you do that as much as you can in the relations with people that you love and trust and you try to expand that circle of people that you love and trust as widely as possible. But under present situation, you know, me doing what I do, it would be pretentious of me to say that my practice of anthropology is anarchist. It's not.
0: In your new book, you make the case that about 40% of jobs, according to some public opinion polling in the UK, or potentially more, are what you call bullshit jobs. And these are jobs that don't need to exist, jobs that the workers themselves feel don't serve a useful purpose or don't contribute to making a better world. Can you give an example of a bullshit job and and why you think it's important to call out this phenomenon at this time?
1: Yeah, I should emphasize, as you pointed out, the key thing here is that the person doing the job thinks it's bullshit. This is very important because I don't want to be some guy going around saying, oh, you guys, you're just pointless and and stupid. I mean, Douglas (laughs) Adams has this famous scene where there's this planet that tries to get rid of all their useless people. And these, for him, include everyone from used car salesmen to hairdressers. So they say the planet's about to blow up and have three arcs, one for leadership types, one for workers, and one for useless people, and then they just send the useless ship into the sun. And and <laughs> <laughs> it, it struck me that this is exactly what I don't want to be doing here. I want to destroy the jobs. I don't want to destroy the people. I want to liberate the people from these jobs. And, and my premise, though, is that Most people in bullshit jobs know it, in fact they know it better than anybody, and they don't like it very much. It's not that there are useless people in the world, everybody wants to be useful, but we have a weird economy which is structured in such a way that huge proportions of the public are trapped in positions which they think if that job were to disappear, or even if that entire industry were to disappear, it would just make no difference, or or maybe the world would be a slightly better place. And I set up a Gmail account called Do I Have a BS Job or What at gmail.com. And you know, I got hundreds of responses. So, if you want to get a sense of, of what those were like, well, obviously, telemarketers. I've never met a telemarketer who didn't think their job was bullshit. A lot of people are in middle management, a lot of people who are serving you know, that sort of clerical administrative supervisory roles where you wonder if they actually do anything. Well, often they don't. And they're perfectly willing to tell you as long as you promise them anonymity. Corporate lawyers. I, I'm sure the upper echelons of corporate lawyers are all about justifying themselves, but pretty much everybody else was like toiling in the legal mills. Those guys saying, you know, if this entire industry were to vanish, great, we'd all be better off. I thought, you know, here's this amusing hypothesis I have, and I put it out in a little magazine. So it just went crazy, went viral all over the world. It was translated, I think now it's up to 22 languages. I just heard it's been translated into Bangla and Persian. Apparently, they have a bullshit job problem in Iran as well, in Bangladesh. <laughs> uh, but but um, the scale of the thing was just way beyond anything I imagined. Eventually, people did polls. Someone in the UK did a poll, and there was another one in Holland. And they found that something between 37 and 40% of people said that their job makes no meaningful contribution to anything, and that if it didn't exist, it wouldn't matter, which I thought was astounding because even after the piece went viral, I was assuming 15 or 20%, but it was like almost 40. Those are the people who are sure that their jobs are bullshit. You know, there are also those who thought it might be. And then you have to count people who don't realize because they're doing real work in support of bullshit, right? Because imagine you have a big office building full of corporate lawyers who are working on a tax scam, right? Well, somebody's got to water the plants. Somebody's got to clean that place. You know, somebody's got to do security receptions. Those guys are doing real jobs, but they don't know that the entire operation they're supporting is just completely unnecessary nonsense. So if you think about that, well, it's quite possible that half the work done in our society is completely unnecessary. And if it were to vanish, there would be no ill effects, except lot of people wouldn't get paid. But, you know, if you can figure out a way to support people otherwise, the work itself is totally unnecessary. This
0: this is really fascinating because, I mean, under the logic of capitalism, efficiency is such a primary concern. And I'm sure advocates of a market-based system would say, well, we'd never have bullshit jobs because we'd immediately (laughs) notice that this is inefficient. How could this ever happen?
1: That's the interesting question. I mean, this is the kind of thing you expect is going to be happening in the Soviet Union. Uh, And did, right? They had a full employment policy, and therefore they had to make up jobs. Hence the famous line, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. There are millions of people like these idiotic jobs. Like if you want to buy something in a store in Russia, one person would select it, another person would give you a ticket, another person would take the ticket. And the, you know, So they, they made up all these incredibly inefficient systems so as to employ as many people as possible. So then the question becomes, why is it that this is happening in capitalism? And, and especially why is it that the moment the alternative collapses, the moment all these socialist systems fall apart, instead of Capitalism becoming even more like lean and mean and efficient, even though that was a rhetoric, right? You know, now we're going to have a really supercharged capitalism, globalization, fire the unnecessary people. There was a whole obsession with lean and mean corporations and CEOs were celebrated for how many people they could fire. But all those guys who were fired, they were the actual productive blue-collar workers who did the stuff. So if you're UPS, the, the delivery guys, the drivers the people are actually doing the work you know you downsize them and you speed them up and you tailorize them and you make their lives a living hell but the guys in the sort of meaningless positions like you know east coast vision coordinator brand manager yeah you know, that kind of stuff those guys don't get fired in fact they seem to get more and more and part of the reason for that is that in large corporations if you're a manager if you're an executive your prestige and sometimes even your salary is actually directly related to how many people you have working under you. So just think about that for a moment. There's like no incentive to fire people. There's one guy who's really telling he worked for a bank and he was an efficiency security expert. And he said that In his estimation, about 80% of people work in banks could easily be either gotten rid of entirely or replaced with a shell script or some sort of relatively simple automation. So only about 20% of people work in a a given large bank are actually necessary. But the really interesting thing he said is he realized he had a bullshit job because he was there to recommend ways they could be more efficient. And he would come up with plan after plan after plan. So in 15 years... Not a single one of his plans had ever been implemented. So he realized (laughs) that he was was just there to let the bank say that it was doing something it wasn't doing, which is what I call box ticker. And and why? Because every time he came up with a plan to make something more efficient, somebody would say, oh, wait a minute, that would mean like 20% of my people would be fired. No, you know, because he would take a hit in terms of his prestige.
2: And now it's time for David Graver's five types of bullshit jobs. Type number one is... A flunky.
0: The flunkies exist for the boss to feel superior to and something that David Graeber called managerial feudalism of, you know,
2: the boss is the lord and he feels important and big by having as many serfs. So this can be stuff like door attendants, assistants, receptionists. Hey Sean, I was wondering, do you want to just do the old flunky sketch? Pull the old flunky sketch out of
0: retirement. I love the way you think. Let's do it. I'll be Mr. Spensworth. You be Mr. Bysworth.
2: All right. So I'll just uh, pick up the phone and I'll dial Mr. Spensworth. Hello. Oh, ah, Spensworth.
0: Bysworth, calling me on my business line during business hours. Yes, I just Inchained. had my flunky
2: turn in thirty sheets. And my other is looking them over. <laughs>
0: I'm so intimidated. Mr. Bysworth has two flunkies. What am I going to do?
2: Yes, yeah, so one of my flunkies was just telling me how important their job is and how much real work they do.
0: My flunkies would tell me that too. If they had the time, i work these flunkies to the bone.
2: Spensworth. What do you
0: say to that, Buysworth?
2: I'll have you know that one of them is nested under the other one, so I'm two levels up. Well, I'll have you know I have 15 total flunkies. And they're all... Directly below you, I imagine? That's none of your business. Fifteen years at a company and you're only one level up.
0: My business is very sleek. It's shaped like a 15-legged spider.
2: (laughs) Such a good metaphor. Excuse me, I have a spider here on my desk. I'm just going to kill it. <laughs>
0: swear, don't kill that spider just because it reminds you of my Is this, corporate oh, structure. Oh, I have real work oh, to do. Oh, would you look at the time. It's been 50 minutes already. Don't you try to hang
2: up on me? I was trying to hang up on you. Well, I'm
0: hanging up on you. and you're. you're uh, I'm
2: going to hang up first. get a full
0: amount of flunkies. Goodbye. Hanging up. I'm going to hang up 1st no, no, you don't hang up.
2: I'm hanging up right now. It's first, a real...
0: before you do. No, yeah. I'll be hanging up Spence first.
2: Spensworth, I will be I hanging worth. up first. I'm going to hang up first.
0: Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Morgan Beatty's 12 Rules for Resentful Young Men.
3: Now, David Graeber says that there needs to be less jobs. And now I have art on the walls of my house to remind me that the people who say don't create jobs have killed millions of people and it comes from the same foundational ideas. And in Shrek 1, Shrek had a job to do he had to save Fiona and stop Lord Farquaad, his dastardly plans, his chaos. And at the beginning of the film, when All-Star plays, that represents the beginning of the cycle of renewal, of him learning to take care of himself, become a full man, a full human being. And at the end of the movie, when they have the Shrek in the Swamp karaoke dance party, that represents a return home a full man and individualism sorry individualism is our only way to be free from tyranny
0: incredible morgan Beatty's 12 rules for resentful young men buy this book like the fate of western
2: civilization depends on it the thing that really sticks out to me is just like how insulting that is to the individual to have to spend your entire day doing something that's useless because it's so important to people to feel useful, to feel esteemed. And then there's like this extra added insult on top of like having to pretend that what you're doing is useful to the other people in the company, to the corporation. So you exist in this state of unreality where you know you're doing something that's pointless but you have to pretend that it's not pointless and it's yep. i don't know i just see this as so damaging to like your sense of self.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right and that's exactly what people report. One guy described it as a copgas nightmare. He said, "All of us are sitting there knowing what we're doing is completely pointless but we can't say it to each other and we're all saying he knows. He does he know? He must know." You know, that he have a job working for an insurance company where he said they had twice as many managers as employees. Everybody's managing each other. (laughs) <laughs> so they sitting there in a circle, like trying to build up each other. Oh, you know, you're so necessary to the team. Thank God we have you. Know.
0: That's sort of like the uh, emotional labor of like Walmart or customer service where you're smart, like you're super <laughs> friendly to all the customers no matter the mood you're in, except like within an internal culture where you're being super like, oh, you're so important. No, you're important. Like you've had such an important yeah, day. Exactly.
1: But the problems, at least if you're like an airline hostess or something like that, right, the classic emotional labor studies. You know exactly what's expected of, but these guys, they're never quite sure, right? Does my boss know I'm not actually doing anything? Because some of these people are like working one hour a day, two hours a week, you know, uh, otherwise they just have to look busy. So then the question is like, you know, how convincing do I have to be? Is it okay that they see that I'm on Facebook all day or playing Minesweeper, or or do I have to like do it up like I'm doing something really important? Do they know and just expect me to play along anyway? Do they not even know? Everybody's in this kind of limbo where they're just trying to figure out what you can say and what you can't, and it just endless paranoia and degradation involved in that. I mean, you could have a nice boss. There's a taboo about your boss actually just saying look, we really just hired you to troubleshoot problems once or twice a week. Otherwise, just stay out of people's way. Do whatever you like. We don't care. You know, they won't actually say that. I don't know why. I did had a job once in graduate school where I was working for a guy. He was a professor of anthropology, and he was like a Marxist who studied workplace resistance, right? So I was like, okay, if there's anybody I can talk to really as a boss, this would be him. I was his research assistant. He was explaining to me how to do the timesheets. So I said, okay, how much can I lie?" And he just looked looked at me like I was from outer space. You know? <laughs> so I just quickly pretended I never said it and said, okay, even this guy you can't be straight with. It's clear there's something about the relation of a boss that you can't actually say what's really going on.
0: Uh, one of the interesting things that you bring up in the book is that you say – the bullshitization of the economy has only just begun. And so that refers not just to the bullshit jobs themselves, but bullshit creeping into other jobs.
1: Yes. And I think that there's a relationship between those two things. I've observed this directly in an academic context. If you look at universities, and this seems to be true pretty much everywhere, there's been a managerial takeover. So whereas 30, 40 years ago, if you said the university, people would assume you meant the faculty. Now, when you say the university, people assume you mean the administrators. And the administrators more and more see themselves as executives. So there's been an increase in the number of administrators, but there's been a veritable explosion of the number of administrative staff. Basically, there are these armies of minions these guys have. And it's part of the corporatization. And in fact, it's happened much more in private universities than in public ones, because the public ones are at least a little bit accountable for what they do with the money, whereas private ones, you know, they're only accountable to trustees. Trustees are familiar with the sort of standards of the corporate world. So for them, it's just totally normal that if you hire somebody to a major post, of course, you're going to give them five flunkies and only then figure out what those flunkies are going to do. So here you get a vice dean or a vice chancellor or a provost, and you give them five people and they'll say, oh, okay. You are in charge of time allocation studies, and you're going to be in charge of synergistic strategizing. And those guys then make up all this paperwork. And then the people that have to do the paperwork is, of course, me. <laughs> they'll try to suddenly have me break down what I'm doing all day. So instead of teaching, I have to sort of like provide detailed accounts of, of my teaching.
2: I have personal experience with a job I did for quite a few years, which was hotel maintenance. And you would think, okay, oh, like sure. obviously hotels need maintenance people, but it's kind of like you were saying, it's the sort of thing where, you know, you need to be there when something breaks. When nothing's broken, sometimes there's projects go around to every room and repaint the bathroom ceiling. But like sometimes you don't need to paint every bathroom ceiling. So I ended up saying I was doing things that I wasn't actually doing because they didn't need to be done. But my bosses wanted to know that I was constantly doing things, even though there wasn't enough things to constantly be doing. And I had to write down everything that I did at the end of the day. So a lot of the days, my biggest task was making up stuff that I had done during the day (laughs) so that there was Something on these sheets that my bosses literally never read once, but they, they were there in the book.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that, like piling up documents, which almost certainly no one's ever gonna read, but there's some possibility they might. So you gotta make it at least, you know. It's a little bit like those things that people are showing in the background in movies, you know, where they have to actually do up the document in case some guy freezes the frame and looks at it to see what it really says. Yeah, so there's a huge industry of writing bullshit reports for these high-level meetings because executives like to be able to walk in with a sheaf of reports. And chances are they're never going to be used at all. But, you know, if something comes up, they can whip it out and say, actually, we have a report on that specific topic and sort of throw it on the table. And it's just total bullshit. You know, it doesn't really matter what you say in the report. I talked to one guy. He said he's doing medical research you know, real medical research on tuberculosis diagnosis. He says it'll probably save lots of lives in, in the global south. He has a whole team of people. They've been working on it steadily. He says there's no money in it. He's just useful, right? Useful stuff. If there's no obvious way to turn a profit off it, nobody's going to pay you. So what these guys do is for four days a week, they work on their real work, which no one will pay them for. And for one day a week, they write bullshit reports from pharmaceutical marketing meetings. And he says he can get 10,000 pounds. That would be about $14,000 for one 20 page report, even if they're not used. The guys don't care. The props are important. It's part of their, you know, sort of prestige and persona that they can just whip these things out. There's other guys whose entire job was making the cartoons or graphics for those reports.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is brought to you by Universal Basic Income. Because society is already paying people to do nothing. We might as well be honest about it.
0: The second bullshit jobs taxonomy is the goon. Someone who does a job that the person who hires them wouldn't do themselves. And it's a job that doesn't contribute to society as a whole,
2: but it does benefit their employer. Crucially, it's people who act deceptively and aggressively on behalf of the employer. Goon jobs are the types of jobs where
0: an employer needs to hire them because other companies have them like corporate lawyers, public relations, people who collect donations on the street, interrupting you walking and it's like a good cause and you feel guilty. That's this field, goons.
2: I'll just put on my goon sketch hat. I'll put on my CEO hat and... You know, my meteoric rise to the CEO of this company Mm -hmm. would never have been possible without you. Well, thank you, sir. Early on when we had that patent conflict, Yep. You went in there. You took care of it. I negotiated, sir. Then, when we had that class action lawsuit, you found the right lawyers. You put pressure on the right places. We showed them our point of view. And then we were able to come to a mutual agreement. I need you to go in there. And I need you to negotiate and get this contract signed. Fate of the company rests in your hands. I'll go to the negotiating chamber. I will get the results. Hi. You ready to... Uh Redraw this contract in a new way because the way it is right now, not going to work for us. I've got my copy here. I think we should go with mine. Let Mine's me take already a look signed. At this. Yeah, please take a look. Mm, ye- no. <laughs> Let's cross that out. I'm just going to take a look at yours. Oh, that won't do. And just cross that out. Do you think you're going to get that? Uh, that's just cute. Cross that
0: and out. This has got to go. Oh, no, that's not negotiable. Oh, that's not negotiable? That's not negotiable. Then what are we doing in the
2: negotiation room? Negotiating you to that position. Sorry, do you mind me asking how much they pay at that firm? Oh, sure. Yeah. Sharing wages is a great way for everyone to stay informed. 200 k 200k, yeah, and they put you in charge of negotiations. Uh, yeah. Why? How much are you making? I'm embarrassed to say now that you said yours. Come on, 250k. Oh, geez, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, you, at least like you're probably feeling really fulfilled at that pay level. I imagine <laughs> I'll, I'll feel fulfilled once I get there. The emptiness
0: grows deeper every day. But anyways, this has got to go just i'm gonna rip this page out
2: That's very theatrical of you but i do happen to have another copy right here this is the one we're signing today that's funny that's funny well you're funny oh you think so yeah Yeah. i mean well i'm almost cracking up do you want to go with me to a concert this weekend 14 months later the birds are eating the rice i hear it expands in their stomach and then they die that's That's hilarious hilarious. (laughs) oh my god uh thanks everyone thank you we love you you. thanks for throw more rice (sniffs) just get in the car just married Put the cans on the back oh it's gonna be interesting to hear those cans ambient sound (sighs) it's been a whirlwind 14 months since we first went to that concert oh yeah i always forget that's how we met competing
0: negotiators on the big file <laughs> so
2: different than our lives now life is so much better now now that you're a teacher i'm a nurse we're both doing something of value to the community and yeah we get paid less and yeah, yeah. that's messed up We get paid like shit frankly <laughs> yeah it's and really bad but i mean and... like i would give up 200k a year for you i would give up 800k a year for you i'd give up two million a year for you Oh, my God. Remember the first time we met and I said, you're so funny?
0: Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Oh, that really? Was you think so? so? funny.
2: Yes. <laughs> I'm serious, though. I would. I would give up two million a year for you. <sighs> you're funny. worth it. That's funny. I didn't marry you for your looks. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <Okay. kidding. laughs> now you're being funny.
0: You're yeah. Right. I, I figured maybe I'll try that on now that we're one thing. we two separate people. Married life. Hashtag married life. Now come over hashtag here and kiss one me. one thing.
2: Oh, no. How much of all this do you think comes from just like a sort of cultural belief that work is good in and of itself, regardless of whether it accomplishes anything or not? It's work ennobles the soul. If you're not working, then you're bad, you're useless.
1: Exactly. There is an idea that everybody should be working harder than they, they want to work, preferably for someone they don't like very much. It's something they don't really enjoy. And if you don't do that, you're a bad person. But Most people don't think it necessarily applies to themselves. Some do. But everybody feels that somebody who doesn't do that and wants public relief as a scrounger, as a crook, they've really conditioned us to be suspicious of each other and to say, you know, people are basically lazy. Of course, the irony is anybody who's ever done research on, on what people actually do knows that if you deny people the ability to just work at all or do anything, they tend to go crazy, get very upset, and get really depressed. And even in prison, they still like take away people's work privileges as a way of punishing them, because they'd rather be like pressing shorts in the prison laundry or you know cleaning a latrine than just sitting in their room playing cards or watching TV all day. And the fact that people are so depressed in these jobs just shows that the desire to contribute something to the world is very fundamental to what human beings are, the basic nature of humanity. On the other hand, it's also true that we have this very weird idea that work ennobles us. And I try to trace this backwards. And a lot of the book is about trying to figure out these very often theological strands that kind of come together in our conception of work. I always go back to the Bible and Hesiod. If you read the story of Prometheus, originally it's much like the Garden of Eden. So sit at the table of the gods and eat nectar and ambrosia. But then we rebelled. Either we stole fire or we ate of the tree of knowledge. Or basically we got too big for our britches and tried to prod into God's business sought knowledge inappropriately, so we're punished. And how are we punished? We're punished by having to work. But that work is also an imitation of God. So the idea is you want to be like God? You want to create things? Because that's what gods do. They create things. Fine, go and create things. You're not going to like it very much. I'm going to make that process of creation as miserable as possible. And in the Garden of Eden, God curses Adam to have to produce food with the sweat of his brow, as we all know. But at the same time, he also curses Adam Eve he says, from now on, when you give birth, it'll be painful, and that painful process is called labor, so it's like work. And this is very interesting and revealing, I think, because the notion of what work is is an imitation of divine creation, so it's production. And the word produce, the Latin word producere, uh, it actually means to shove out, sort of like giving birth. You could still say, like, you know, he produced something from his wallet, right? It is to pull it out or take it out. So, you know, you have this image of these factories that are kind of shoving stuff out like little babies. Production, creation is our idea of work. But if you think about it, that's a weird idea of what work is, right? Because that's not actually what most work consists of. Most work consists not of making stuff, but of maintaining it. You might make a cup once, but you wash it a thousand times and you stack it a thousand times. So, so that's what work actually mainly consists of. So it's like this very male-centric, patriarchal notion of what work is. Guys imitate what women do naturally. They just kind of shove out these babies. Well, we shove out the stuff. We produce things. So A, you got this notion of production, but it's supposed to be painful and miserable. And then on top of that, you have this idea, which comes from Northern Europe, but isn't even a theological idea. It's kind of a weird moral conception that you need to work when you're a kid, between roughly the ages of 15 and 30 adolescences when you're working, and you need to work under somebody else's direction, probably shouldn't be that pleasant, in order to become an adult. And the weird thing about medieval society in Northern Europe, in England, and Germany, much of France, was that... Everybody had to be a wage laborer. It's not like wage labor didn't exist, but they had to be a wage laborer between the ages of fifteen and thirty. Craftspeople are the famous example of that. You know, you're an apprentice and you're a journeyman, and then finally you make your masterpiece. You become a master craftsman when you're roughly thirty-two or so, and then you can get married and you can start your own shop and eventually you get your own flunkies and, and, and apprentices. But everybody did that. Peasants did it. That's with servants and husbandry. Lords did. It. That's what pages were. Knights had pages. So they were eventually going to be knights. They were ladies-in-waiting. They were like apprentice noblewomen. That's where word waiter comes from, too. They were basically junior nobles who like hung around the king and waited on And they were also waiting for their inheritance, so they didn't have to do that anymore. Become nobles in their own right, You know, get their own servants who were like other junior nobles and so forth. Now, suddenly, around 1500s, 1600s, you get capitalism emerging, wage labor becomes a permanent thing. So that means suddenly everybody's a teenager forever, or like a lot of the population are just stuck in permanent adolescence. So instead of this idea that you're a kid, you do wage labor, you're under somebody else's discipline, work makes you mature, le- makes you learn how to become self-contained, a, a real adult, and then once you are an adult, you don't have to do it anymore. Instead of that, you get this division between the home and the workplace, which used to be the same. But now you go to work for five days a week, nine to five or whatever. And you only get to be an adult when you go home. At home, when you're consuming stuff, then then you're grown
0: up. Oh, yeah. So it's like a nine to five adolescence to prove that you're worthy of your five to 11 television, Netflix. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) And therefore, work is supposed to be unpleasant. It's supposed to be unfulfilling in a certain way, but it's okay. It's this thing that allows you to grow up and become a real person during the rest of the week. So this is actually really telling because what happens, and I did some research on this, is basically the guys who are the sort of industrialists, the emerging middle classes, bourgeoisie, if you want to use the Marxist terms, sort of say, well, you know, value comes from work. Everything we see around us is produced by our work. And and they use that sort of labor theory of value, as it was called, as a way of saying aristocrats are a bunch of idle parasites. But they get hoisted on their own petard, kind of backfires on them, because then the workers start saying, wait a minute, maybe you're the idle parasites. Maybe we're the guys producing the value. And all during the 19th century, The idea that all value comes from labor, that we create the world, and that working people are the real creators of everything we see around us and ultimately deserve credit for it, everybody's saying that. I mean, if you read Abraham Lincoln, he sounds like a Marxist. All those guys sound like Marxists when you read them today. And then in the 20th century, there's a backlash. Basically guys like Andrew Carnegie say well we can't have this. They called it the gospel of work, you know, Americans define themselves through their jobs, through what they do. We need to change this. And there was a concerted effort to create what he called the gospel of wealth. That basically value doesn't come from work, it comes from people like me, you know, it comes from entrepreneurs. We have the visions and and the fact that work was seen as creating stuff rather than maintaining, taking care of things is what made it possible for people at Carnegie to say Oh, look at a factory workers, you know, if that's your paradigm for real work. Factory workers might as well be machines themselves. In fact, I hope to replace them with machines. So you're not actually creating value. I'm creating the value here. And and that's what people now think. It really worked. In the 19th century you said wealth creator, people would assume you meant workers. Now if you say wealth creator, people assume you mean capitalists, rich people. And as a result, okay, your work is not the meaning of your life, it's not what you contribute to society, it's not how you produce value, then then Why do it? How do you tell people work is good? Well, you gotta fall back on Puritanism. You gotta fall back on this theological stuff. They work as supposed to be miserable. It's a way of self-sacrifice that you know justifies your your consumer practices, you know, when you're not working. So you go back to this notion that it's self-discipline, that it's self-sacrifice, it's like the secular hair shirt. But okay, if work is suffering that proves your value as an adult, well, anything you get out of work, anything gratifying about it makes it less valuable, right? And that means if the work is fun or interesting, you know, it's less valuable. But it gets to the point, and this is the point we're at now, where even the knowledge that your work is benefiting society and helping other people itself is a form of gratification, which means the work is actually worth less as a form of self-sacrifice, and therefore you shouldn't have to be paid as much. And in fact, that's what you see. People whose work benefit society are not paid as much, for the, a few notable exceptions, and people are okay with it.
2: Benefiting society is its own reward. You don't need to be paid as well. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so that's the reason why like nurses, mental health workers, child care providers, exactly. like, oh, it's so great to take care of kids. Like, Why should I have to pay you more than $14 an hour?
1: Yeah, and they'll say things like that. They'll say like, well, you know, we wouldn't want people who are greedy to take care of our children. I mean, people are motivated basically by money. You know, you wouldn't want them to be teachers.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we need
1: to enforce teacher poverty at all costs. Yeah, And and then I think a lot of it is is actually unconscious resentment by people who have bullshit jobs for people who have real work. Like after the 2008 crash, the bankers didn't get hit. The audio executives in the bailed out companies didn't get hit. Who had to take a hit? The so guys are actually making the cars. And there's all this outrage. Oh, well, you know, they're making $24 an hour. It's really 54 if you count the benefits. That's so outrageous. It's like, well, why not? You know, they're providing a necessary service. They're working hard. Why shouldn't they be able to take their kids on vacation? Why shouldn't they have a nice house in the, uh, in the suburbs? And 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 the notion seemed to be, but but you guys get to make cars. Like That's, that's like a real thing that people want. <laughs>
2: the third type of bullshit job is the box ticker just a position that exists so that a company can check off a box and say that they are doing something can be things like performance managers
0: so like an example that graber gives from governments a fact-finding commission into some sort of controversy that's set up to fail it only exists So the government is able to say, like, oh, look, we did a fact-finding commission. We did an investigation on this issue. Like, aren't we good? Aren't we noble? They exist to say, like, oh, now we have... A director of increasing diversity. What's crucial about sort of like the box ticker is that the director of diversity doesn't actually have the power to increase diversity. They just have the power for the company to say they have a director of diversity.
2: Oh, hey, do you want to whip out the old box ticker sketch? Our grandparents used to do that sketch together. Of course, I'd be happy to do it. Okay, so you're the boss and I'm the box ticker. Oh, I'm so excited. My first week on the job and I just completed my first report on how to improve the environmental impact of the organization. I put so much work into this. I interviewed every employee. I have prepared a comprehensive list of suggestions. My boss is going to be so impressed. Uh, Do you mind if I come in? How's it going? Hey, yeah, I was just thinking about how stoked I am to present to you my report—it's well, going great. I put awesome. so much work in it. And it's it. all done. It's all done. Yeah. Cool. Can I take a look at it? Uh, definitely. Please do. If you need me to explain any parts of it to you, I am here.
0: Hmm. Sure. Can you can you pass me that pair of scissors on your desk? Sure.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Hey. Oh, wait. That's the report. You know. Why? What
0: are you doing? Yeah. We won't be taking the recommendations uh, this week. And you didn't even read it. It comes from
2: above. Me. We're not taking the recommendations this week. So you don't need to know what the recommendations are to know that you're not taking them um i don't need to understand that at this time i mean couldn't you have just like pretended to take it and cut it up not in front of me so i didn't know that oh it was, was that just...
0: morale deflating
2: yeah i mean i was really excited Sorry, I, was just... I put a lot of work into this and i know i have to do one every week and now i know that this is what happens to them uh yeah well not uh, yeah anyway so i'll leave you to next week's report
0: and keep up the great work Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. They're saying that there should be less jobs. We need more jobs. We've got unemployed people. We need to take care of our veterans. Does the sound of an unemployed veteran sound good to you? I don't think so. You need to create stable, good-paying jobs through massive energy projects, resource extraction. We need jobs.
2: Jobs, jobs, jobs. You want to force disabled veterans to go to work? That's a humiliating ritual. Make them show their worth before you let them eat. It's disgusting. Abolish work today. Abolish all jobs.
0: Oh, nephew, I forgot that I had you on my Facebook. I know you're just a young lad, but as you get older you start to realize nothing gets done without jobs. If there was no jobs, who would pick up the garbage? Who would bring the food to your table? Who would drive taxi cabs? Who would put out fires? Society is formed by a network of jobs, and that's why I always vote for jobs. Whoever
2: brings the jobs gets my ballot. Oh, uncle, you're so utterly stupid and naive. What you've listed there was a series of tasks. Some of those tasks can be automated. Garbage can be sent through pneumatic tubes from people's homes to collection points. Now, some of the things you mentioned are tasks that people will have to do, but that doesn't mean it has to be their job where they have to show up every day and do it. Even your idea to build pneumatic tubes to carry garbage to the dump.
0: The only way that could be built is through jobs. Construction workers and journeymen and engineers. It's the power of jobs. And someday you too will have a job
2: and you'll join us. I'm scared to get my first job because I know they're gonna drill this shit into my head and soon I'm gonna sound like you. The only solution is to destroy not just all the jobs, but all the people who have ever worked a job. There's a new proposal being kicked around the Senate right
0: now to exterminate everyone who doesn't work. So your idea is quite a bit like that. It's
2: actually the opposite of that. Kill everyone who does work. Hello, you two. I've been reading this thread and I'm just itching to weigh in. I'm a centrist.
0: I'm not sure if you've heard of centrism, but it's a political ideology where you always want to look for something and like that's not so extreme. And you guys are both talking about killing each other. And this is what a centrists call an extreme spiral. The middle ground is some jobs are good, like firemen or daycare worker, people who Clean hospitals, that's an important job. Clean hospitals, that's a legitimately important job. Not to mention doctors, another part of hospitals. There's tons of people who need help doing the stuff around their house because they have disabilities or they're aging. And they don't get the level of care that they deserve. Those are jobs in wait. Every uncleaned room is an uncreated job. And I think that's the middle ground. Hashtag centrism.
2: And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. Looping back to the
0: bullshitization of the economy. Yes. If you're correct, and honestly, I think you are. But if you're correct, and we're at an early stage of bullshitization, what does late stage bullshitization look like? What's the dystopia?
1: Well, I mean, just imagine like what what we're in, except more so, because you know they're talking about the robots coming to replace our jobs, right? And every now and then, this rhetoric has a little efflorescence and dies down again. So a lot of people say, well, you know. People have been saying that for years. It's not like you know, there's been mass unemployment. And in fact, it's true. Like back in, but certainly by the 1930s, they thought the depression was caused by technological unemployment. That was a phrase they used at the time. So the, this whole idea of mechanization is going to cause mass unemployment has been every decade or so. There's a panic about it. So people say, well, you know, maybe it's not really a problem. But the other way to look at that is to say, well, maybe it happened and instead of just getting rid of the unnecessary work and sort of making us all work less it just made up bullshit jobs right which is certainly what it looks like you know if you look back in the 30s jobs existed about half of them have been eliminated so in theory we could all be working a 15, 20 hour a week, probably fairly easily. Instead, they make up this sort of pointless jobs. So all I would anticipate is unless we recognize the problem and actually make a collective decision to do something about it, it's just going to be more and more extreme. We're going to have to create industries which essentially exist because of themselves. I think corporate law is the paradigm for that, right? Because corporate lawyers, sometimes they say they're a little like armies, but then people give me shit. So so let me use a different example. Um, feudal lords. You know, Back in the Middle Ages, the idea is feudal lords, they protect the peasants. Well, who do they protect the peasants from? Other feudal lords. Uh, <laughs> so basically, corporate lawyers are like that. Any firm needs a lot of lawyers to protect the firm from the other firm's lawyers. That's the dystopian future, that those kind of industries that only exist because they exist and that feed off themselves and that you know sort of endlessly pile on more and more of them will grow to the point where that's all anybody's doing.
0: And so I want to ask the opposite question, too. You mentioned a 15-hour work week. And in the book, you also talk about potentially a basic income. If people take this critique seriously and say, like, we as a society all come together and say, you know, this book is spot on. Graeber's right. We need to embody this critique into our society. Like, what changes should we make going forward to to fix this problem? Less jobs? Yeah,
1: well less jobs would be very nice. But but the technical problem is how do you address this without creating even more bureaucracy and therefore even more bullshit jobs? Because, you know, I've been talking about the private sector, but it's obviously not as if the public sector isn't full of them too. I always say that they're, they're somewhat different in structure, that in the public sector, a lot of the unnecessary jobs are basically bureaucrats and You know, office workers who are basically there to make poor people feel bad about themselves, whereas in the private sector, most of the useless office workers are there to make rich people feel good about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, like, how do you get rid of them? In England, we sometimes use the term creating committees to investigate the problem of too many committees, (laughs) committees, <laughs> you know, the, the more you try to address the problem, the more it does, you make more of it. Oh, yeah.
0: Do you call that the iron law of something in utopia oh, the iron of, Rose? Law of liberalism.
1: Oh, yeah. That was a different book. Yes. Uh, the iron law of liberalism, and using the term liberalism in its old-fashioned 19th century sense, we're basically meant libertarianism. So, so the iron law of liberalism is that any market reform designed to reduce bureaucracy and red tape will, in fact, create more regulations and more bureaucrats than existed before, <laughs> and more paperwork. And, and I think I've tried to find someone to give me a counterexample. I mean, I've challenged people to come up with a counterexample. I haven't found one. No one's been able to produce one. My favorite statistic that I always trundle out is Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Between 1992 and 2001 or 2002, this is the period of shock therapy where the actual Russian economy shrank dramatically. During that period, the total number of civil servants, I mean, not even private bureaucrats, public bureaucrats, went from 1 million to 1.25 million. So there's a 25% increase in the number of bureaucrats after the Soviet Union collapsed. Wow. Yeah. So how do you avoid that? And that's why I ended up embracing basic income. I mean, you can say, well, reduce work hours. And that's the obvious thing to do. And I'm for that, right? But it seems to me that I can't see how you would reduce work hours in the current system that we got now anyway, in a way that wouldn't require a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of legislation interfering in every aspect of our lives. Just think about it. You know, our work has invaded our lives. How would you reduce it? Um, if we were all going to nine to five jobs, you know, you could say, okay, from now on, there are 10 to three jobs, you know, you could demand everybody gets three months vacation, you can do a lot of things. But the problem is, there's a lot of casualized labor, there's a lot of contract labor, there's a lot of things which sure, like technically monthly salaries, so they can make you work all the time like the kind of job I have, they pay me once a month, but Nobody really knows how many hours they work. They make me do these bullshit time allocation studies, but then they ignore them. You know, in fact, if I were doing everything they wanted, I would be working probably 80 hours a week. No human being can do that. So I slack off on some of those responsibilities. But, you know, theres I don't want the government monitoring that stuff. So, So it's hard to see how you would, like, directly address it in the current environment. So basic income, on the other hand, universal basic income, and the universal part is very important here, not only would it be a leftist, anti-bureaucratic position, but it would target the bureaucrats who are really annoying. Because, you know, some bureaucrats are doing useful stuff, but some bureaucrats are there to make it harder for you to get benefits. Some bureaucrats are there to like, you know, see if you're really looking for a job or whether you're really married to that person or you know, whether you're really using that room or have to be taxed for it. You now, all of those guys, the really irritating bureaucrats, those guys would all go you know, we wouldn't need them anymore. They would all get basic income too, right? So they could go off and form a jug band or go spelunking or, you know, decide to restore <laughs> antique furniture or whatever makes them happy. I don't care. Um, and, and the world would be a better place. Anyway, they'd be a lot happier than doing what they do. Because one thing that became very clear from my research in the book is that, bureaucrats whose job is to make you miserable are often very miserable themselves. They don't actually enjoy it. I mean, there's a few sadists, right? Yeah,
0: Uh, There's not many jug band members that just really wish they could deny someone benefits instead.
1: Exactly. But the other way around, probably, yeah.
0: The fourth type of bullshit job is the duct taper. A duct taper is someone who is fixing a problem that shouldn't exist in the first place.
2: Say your job is to follow the bosses around and pick up their coffee cups because the bosses won't just put the cup in their place where it's supposed to be. It's a problem that's created out of laziness or created out of incompetence, and the problem could just go away, but instead they hire the duct taper, the patcher upper.
0: Or like someone who will help people do their applications for social assistance and stuff like that. So like ideally the system shouldn't be set up in such a way where people are turned down welfare or disability for frivolous reasons. But yet that happens because the people who are in charge of deciding who gets welfare or disability or not are hired goons because the people who hired them would never turn down people for welfare to their face. That's a
2: goon. To solve the problem that the goons are making in the welfare industry you need to hire duct tapers to like walk people through the process of applying for make sure welfare. they check
0: all the right boxes because the process has no sympathy for them. It feels like it's about
2: time for just want to see if you're on the same page as me. Duck Duct-taper duct tapers sketch. sketch yes. Strap in. Oh so how's that bucket with the water dripping into it doing? Hmm. Only about one fifteenth full. Oh, got a nice comment on my profile picture.
3: <laughs> Randall,
2: what are you doing? Oh, I was just You're uh, on your phone on yeah, checking my phone. The bu- the bucket's doing fine. You can see there's barely any water are you in talking it. About, look, you got two buckets for a reason. And it's
0: because the process is this.
2: I know what the process is.
0: You put the bucket down underneath the water, the water will drip. There's a leak in the pipe. You carry the other bucket, which has water in it, across the other side of the facility dump it down the dumping drain, and then walk back, put the empty bucket underneath the drip, take the now full bucket, and parade it back to the other side
2: of the facility yet again to dump it in the dumping drain. See, but the and thing you is, continue this process. If I keep moving like that constantly, it's, there's no water in the bucket. There's no point. But you're, you're stealing from us, just sitting there. I'm not stealing from you. You're, you're paying me
0: for an outcome, and I'm providing you that outcome. We're not paying you for an outcome. We're paying you for a process. We're paying you for an action, a series of actions for a set period of time. The
2: process shouldn't exist. Can I offer you some opinions on an update to the process? Absolutely not. Now pick up this bucket and parade your little self to the other side to dump it down the
0: dumping hole. And I want that to continue for your entire shift as is in your contract
2: agreement. Why don't you just fix the pipe? Oh, we're going to. We'll have a guy in sometime. This problem doesn't need to exist. Well, it's,
0: it's not a problem. You're here. You empty the bucket.
2: Never mind. I'm going to parade. I need the job. So I'm going to start parading. And I'm sorry well. for arguing. Thank you. I'll just do the cycle. Walk in a circle all day. That's the applause you get for doing your job. Well, thank you for the positive encouragement. You're a great manager. Thank you. I'm going to go to my office now. I've really
0: encouraged that guy. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Now just get on my phone. Oh, someone commented on my profile picture. <laughs> you too, Jessica. Hey man, do you mind if I take a look at that book you're holding?
2: Oh, sure. Morgan Beattie was explaining how Shrek 2 is feminist propaganda. Hey, you know, it's meant to emasculate fans of the original. It's really great, incisive stuff. Uh, and do you mind if I just drop it here in the garbage, where it belongs? That's a bit... uh creepy that you just threw my book out. How do you feel about me handing you a second book now? A different mm-hmm. book? Well, at least it is a book. and makes up for it. One book for one book. David Graeber's Bullshit Job. Just no, came I haven't out. read this one. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it just came out. That makes sense. Yeah, it's really good. It's a lot better than... Oh, did you read that one that's in the trash? Oh, no, 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 but I've read dozens of think pieces about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick of talking about it.
0: No, but I mean I'm not sure if I actually agree with people cleaning their own rooms. Okay. I don't know. My dad always told me when I was growing up Every uncleaned room is an uncreated job. We should pay people to clean each other's rooms. Because if you're just cleaning your own room, that's not economic activity. That's just something you're doing by yourself. But if you want to grow the economy and make the economy expand, one of the ways to do that would be to pay everyone to clean each other's rooms. I think the government should pay someone to clean their room.
2: Holy cow. I never thought that somebody would debunk that you should clean your room. That's so great, that's so great. The fifth and final type of bullshit job is the taskmaster. People whose entire job consists of assigning work to others. The people underneath them would be fine continuing to do those tasks, even if they disappeared, if they evaporated. Type two taskmaster is even worse, has like a negative impact assigning bullshit tasks to other people. They aren't just bullshit themselves. They create more bullshit, forcing other useful workers like teachers to spend more of their time assessing and justifying what they're doing and less time actually doing it. And I think uh, the best way for us to demonstrate for you what a taskmaster is like is with the taskmaster bit. Oh, yeah. Can I do my working class Joe voice? I wouldn't have it any other way. Hey, I'm a working class Joe doing my machinery over here. Uh, Joe, Joe, I know you're busy fixing cars, but you didn't fill out your forms this week. Oh my god. I've been
0: doing car stuff. I'm hired for cars. I don't wanna be filling out your stupid forms. They don't make any sense. Mm, Like I gotta check Oh yes the wheel. I Mm, did the
2: wheel. How do we know that you're doing everything properly unless there's the forms? Check the car. I'm up to my elbows in car right now. (laughs) Look, if I knew about cars well enough to check them, I wouldn't be the one. How often do you have to chase people down like this while they're doing the car stuff? Oh, you know, how frequently does that happen? People forget to fill out the Forbes quite a bit. I guess that's why they need me. I'm gonna
0: tell you what my day's like. 8 a.m. Cars, 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 cars. Lunch at noon for one hour, unpaid. 1 p.m. Cars, 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 cars.
2: Five. I'm out of here. Okay. 100% cars. Forgot one thing. Cars, 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 forms. Cars, 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 forms. Look, smart guy, what do you do when you're not chasing us down like this? You're reviewing the forms in your office all day. read, 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 read the whole time. Well, no, I do lots of things. I design new forms. I go to seminars about how to create new forms. I go to seminars about how to motivate people to fill out forms. I'm, just, I'm <laughs> so passionate about forms. They're really the glue that holds society together.
0: Well, look, we all get paid. Your salary comes from the fixed cars. My salary comes from the fixed cars. The yep. freaking boss's salary comes from the fixed cars. Not a single salary, not a single dime comes from forms. Well, I wouldn't say that's true. They're suck. Not like fixing cars. Fixing cars is good for everyone. Really contributes.
2: Forms. Forms have a part to play in everything. That's my motto. The part is sucking. The part is lubrication.
0: I'd like to see you fix a friggin' car.
2: I'd like to see you design your own form. Go to hell, you piece of shit animal. Alright, so I'll just get those forms by the end of the day. Like hell you will, you piece of shit. Hey now, don't make me go to HR. Alright, well... Check later for the forms, I guess. Thanks a million. Toodles. Bye, guy.
0: Another one of your earlier books that I wanted to just reference one part of because I loved it so much gave me something to think about for days. In Fragments of an Anarchist Anthropology, you give a three-point plan for ending global poverty. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's bold, utopian. It's exactly the stuff I love. And you acknowledge in the book, you know, this is really complicated to put into practice. But the three ideas in it are an amnesty on international debt, canceling all technology patents and intellectual property older than a year, and allowing for Mm -hmm. free movement for travel and residents around the world, basically open borders. So I wanted to ask, why would this end global poverty?
1: I think just the third one would, you know. I mean, let's just look at that. Um, everybody says, "Oh, you know, the problems of differential incomes across countries and in international trade, and the histories of wealth and development. Oh, it's very complicated." You know, people have thought about for generations how we would solve some of these problems, and it's very intractable, and no one knows. And yeah, right. Let's imagine the following scenario: anybody in the world could live wherever they want. If I live in Mozambique, if I live in Cambodia and I want to move to Cleveland or I want to move to Holland, nobody's stopping me. All right. The moment that happens, do you think that the governments of America, Holland, England, France, all Germany, all the rich countries in the world would not instantly figure out a way to make people in Mozambique and Cambodia want to stay there? You know, they would figure out a way to make you know, people in, in Mozambique and Cambodia probably mostly would want to stay there if they could, right? I mean, some people are adventurous and always will be and want to see the world, you know, that's not a problem. But you know, the overwhelming majority, they probably want to stay there. They they speak the language, you know, they like the music, they like the food. Okay, so, so there's an incentive to want to stay in your own country. But if suddenly every single rich country had to figure out how to make migrants not want to come there but want to stay at home. I bet you they would come up with things that would make life in those countries, you know, relatively pleasant really fast. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't come up with something. I bet they would. It's a little bit like what Kropotkin said about the dirty jobs problem. Everybody always asks that one. Well, if you have a free and equal society, we'll clean the sewers. You know, we'll do coal mining and toilet cleaning and and you know, there's various lefty theorists that have come up with various funny suggestions about this. Fourier said, oh, you know, little children love to play in filth. Let them do it. You Kropotkin know? uh, <laughs> had a little more practical one. He said, imagine everybody had to do a shift of a couple hours a day doing unpleasant jobs like that. That means all the engineers, the scientists, the everybody would be forced to do these jobs. I bet you toilet cleaning and coal mining robots would be invented in a matter of months. It would be everybody's top priority would be to get rid of those jobs entirely. Right now, you know, those are the jobs we have the least incentive to robotize. But if everybody had to do them, you know, I mean, those jobs would be eliminated almost immediately.
0: I love that idea. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been an awesome interview. And personally, like your book's been a big inspiration to me. I, I love the stuff that you're doing. <laughs> Thanks. So, I mean, I suspect a good number of our listeners are familiar with you. But if someone's completely new to you, like, this guy's on the money. Where can they find you online?
1: Ah, well, that's interesting because I have a web page now. And I didn't used to, but it was created. I, at the time I did this book, I said, okay, I got to do it. and been putting it off. And several of the people who actually have bullshit jobs who, were, who had provided me with testimonies, and I'd become friends of online, pulled together to create a web page for me. Time their bullshit jobs so they can do it. And um, and they just told me, well, wait, we've discovered that com is taken. So... I was surprised, although later I was talking to an old girlfriend and said, yeah, don't you remember you're Like that night that we all got stoned and Like, like to reserve the domain name? I guess you forgot. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I don't remember how to access it anyway. So the guy went through a whole list, and I didn't realize that there isn't just Oregon net. There's like 30 of them. So one really called out to me. I, as soon as I heard it, I said, well, obviously, it's got to be that. So there is a webpage now called davidgraber.industries. LAUGHTER
0: <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I also I love the idea that Davidgraber.com, you've got it. It's out there, but it's just it's just beyond your grasp now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just totally <laughs> forgot. Anyway, so Davidgraber.industries. Yeah, it's 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 still growing. It's really just starting up, but it's there.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much again for coming on the show. And and uh the, I love the book. I, I read it, uh, I devoured it thanks. in just like under a week. So thanks again. Take care. I'll just uh, take my earbud out here. This is really a bullshit job. I'm a box sticker. I fill out these forms just so they can say that there's an accountability in the form process. I'm a duct taper. The modem is faulty. I have to restart it every couple of days so he can get on the internet and get to his sites. I'm obviously his flunky. When the summer interns come in, I'm a taskmaster. I have to make all these bullshit jobs for them. And God, I mean, the only bullshit job that isn't part of my complex multi-form bullshit job is a goon. I'm not a
2: goon. Oh, fuck. At least I'm not a goon. Johnson. Oh, Mr. Spensworth. It's been 50 minutes already. Yes. The telephone call with Mr. Bysworth is completed. Oh yeah. I do have to ask you to do one other thing. If you can clear a bit of time off your plate. Oh, No uh, you
0: know what? Okay. I'll, I've got a lot of work to do, but I want to be a good employee. So I'll absolutely do
2: it. Anything. Let me know. So, you know, down at the lower levels of the company, we got those guys who like crawl under cars, get all dirty like animals. And I'm not not exactly sure what they do. Yeah, that's what they call them. Auto mechanics. Yeah. So we're going to be laying off 40% of our auto mechanics. Hasta la vista, baby. That's what (laughs) you're going to be my hasta la vista, baby guy. You got to just go tell the people what they don't want to hear. Okay,
0: sir. Yeah,
2: I'll go do something that you wouldn't do. Those jobs don't need to exist. It's going to make the company leaner. The machines can do all that. No machine can do what we do. You know what I'm talking about, right? What managers do. That uh, uh, yeah. je ne sais quoi of the human spirit. That's the backbone of the managerial tradition. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, pretty uh, soon it's just going to be us and the eggheads. And you know, between you and me, one day we can automate the eggheads. Then it'll just be managers all the way down. A beautiful future. You want to take my hand and walk with me into it? (laughs) Fellow manager? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, then there's just one other question I have to ask you. Three months later. Oh, my God. They should clean up those dead birds. Really? You'd think. I'll just open the door here. You can step in there. Can't wait to hear those cans rattling as the car drives away. Just married right across the back. (laughs) That's us. Just married. I can't believe it. No Uh, one will be able to miss that we're married. (sighs) Remember, I used to be your boss. Oh, yeah. That was uh, so long ago now. It just feels like like a different world. Another life. But (laughs) enough shop talk here. Come here, you. Thank you so much for telling me about your day. This David Graeber guy sounds great. I really want to go out and buy that book. You said it's out now?
0: Yeah, the book just came out. It's called Bullshit Jobs. And actually, one of the hosts was saying on the show, it was his top book of 2018 so far. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he went on to say that he's only read one book so far in 2018 that came out in 2018. But he also said that that little
2: bit of honesty shouldn't devalue the endorsement. Oh, sounds like a forthright and trustworthy endorsement. Oh, hey, Bucket Dumper. Bucket Dumper, over here. Bucket Dumper, we're over here. Hey, guys. You still parading around in circles with your bucket? Yes. He was just telling me about bullshit jobs. Sounds like you're a duct taper. You know, having
0: not read the book yet, I don't understand what you're saying at all, but that's one of the reasons I'm going to check it out. Is is there a drink special?
2: Oh, I'll cover you. Order whatever you want. Six bucks for a drink. Throw six bucks to you for a drink. Start donating six bucks a month to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. That's how you get access to the whole archive of all their old episodes, bonus episodes, secret Facebook group. Well, you can support independent content. That's a bargain.
0: The other thing i was thinking is like maybe we need to have a revolution
2: oh yeah a revolution like to change all this
0: yes like why should i have to parade a bucket back and forth for
2: eight hours a day in order to have a place to sleep they should just let you fix the pipe and then pay you forever for that fixed pipe
0: yeah because like it's just nonsense the work culture with like the protestant work ethic and it's just madness and like we could overthrow it and we can do so much like we could introduce a basic income we could invest in technology that helps Makes people we could sense we could, sense. We could uh, abolish prisons we could tackle the the problem of institutional sexual assault within the police the military and the prison system like hey, we could well, do a lot like while we,
2: we're at all this can we provide people with food shelter clothing education and transportation yes. yes and so the disgruntled bullshit job havers implemented all of the things that he just said and more. Forever approaching that receding horizon of a perfect utopia, moving closer and closer to a better society forever until the end of time. Next time on Seriously Wrong. Mr. Graber, we have written two overlapping songs. We, we were just really hoping to sing in front of you. Can you do us the honor of letting us sing them to you?
1: Uh, yeah, I can, actually.
2: Thank you. One, two,
3: three. Jobs, they should David, contribute the to I the think world. Think it's a form of spiritual violence.
2: Yeah, that song was dedicated to you.
1: Oh. Oh, really? Oh, thank you.
2: I think Sean's was really good, though. And and you as well. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I thought yours was good, too.